Hi, I'm Bryn Thompson. This is the Coburn Ventures podcast. It's for our clients, for investors, for our community of industry leaders, fellows, and friends. This is a group that loves the craft of investing, studies change, is dedicated to business analysis and leadership, and all that's behind the scenes of that work. I hope you enjoy it. As investors, we are outsiders. So when we hear from management that a company has an interesting opportunity in a new market or a plan to improve its market share, it could be tempting to think that a company can make that strategic move rather quickly. And sometimes that's definitely possible. But in assessing that likelihood, you know whether or not that company can succeed is largely due to the weakness or strength of the culture. Because here's the important part, Explicitly or implicitly, many new company goals, even new product rollouts, may require changing company culture. And changing company culture can be very hard. So what do we mean by defining culture in terms of weak culture or strong culture? In this conversation, we discuss attributes of strong and weak culture and why sometimes A weak culture could be exactly what you want. There's much more. I hope you enjoy it. Today we're talking about company culture and with such a huge topic and um, just a term that gets thrown around a lot, culture and assessing culture. uh, We're gonna start with our working definition of culture. And then we'll get into some of the preconditions for changing culture. That's really the main topic of how do you change culture? It seems like um, everybody wants to change culture or wishes a culture of a company would change, but we don't always know how to do it. So we'll go through that and we'll end with some methods. But here's the working definition. This will be the place for us to start. And of course you can make your own working definition, but here is ours. So culture is the way of being and the way things get done. Culture implicitly outlines the boundaries of action. I think of these as like the guardrails that are up. And culture is a translation mechanism for values into actions. Culture is not values and values are not culture. So with that definition of culture, how then do we think about the preconditions? How how would you assess Um, whether a culture can change at all. Let's talk about those preconditions because I think this is a really important, like what's on the ground that's workable or not to begin with. Yeah. I think there's an anxiety about the future and and so many people want to change culture because I think they sense there's an insufficiency of what the culture is now. Even most CEOs don't even have a working definition of culture. So it's like this very super important thing that is vague and vast and unworkable to like, what do I do with this? So I thought about like, what are some of the preconditions that advance the possibility of change? Maybe the first is to reduce change, which sounds revolutionary down to shift or enhance something that is improving, but not revolutionary in nature. So if we're going to shift culture, here are a few Mm, helpful bits. Uh, one is going to sound pretty straightforward, particularly anyone that, that happened to read the, the change function is 
the degree of crisis in a situation opens up more possibility. If you have massive crisis, usually more things come into play, more things are, hey, we'll try that, we gotta try anything type approach. If the crisis is minor, like, well, we keep missing sales numbers, but just by a little each quarter, you'll be like that boiling frog and, and the chance of a significant change or a, a significant improvement to culture is, is low. Uh, the second would be weak cultures are much more, much easier to change than strong cultures. And by and weak and strong. This one sounds so counterintuitive. So let's slow down just for a bit because it's such an important point. I, I was, yeah, I was one day thinking about activist investors. And an activist investor wants to come into a situation where there's a very weak culture because in a weak culture, they don't get rid of foreign antibodies quickly. In a weak culture, like they don't know what they are and what they aren't. And so they're very unable to defend themselves. So in a weak culture, you could come in as an activist, demand two board seats and they'll go, okay, you can have them. <laughs> in a strong culture, like a Sony or a Qualcomm, they'll tell you to hit the road and there's just no way that you're gonna get in. They will kick you out. Well, if you want to change culture, you want a weak culture, not a strong culture. You Good luck it, trying. You want it to be such that um, there isn't a clear way things get done. For example, like if if you were coming in, if you were a new hire, I wouldn't be able to, you know, show you in one day or or quickly explain you know, some of the values and and how how things happen. Yeah, if you're like if you're a leader coming into a situation, you almost want people that are open-minded to being led because they're not like strongly uh, ingrained in the way things are working now. And so we look for weak cultures, ones that they can't figure out how to get rid of foreign antibodies because then you can you can move that group around much more easily. A strong culture. Uh, a foreign antibody gets eliminated even before the hiring process starts. They filter like who possibly might be a candidate for what we're trying to do. So when you say we look for weak cultures, that's within the context of if someone is purporting that there's going to be a culture change, you would yes. say, okay, that's much more likely to happen with a weak culture. Than exactly. A strong culture. Only in that context. There is a, a food company that a few years ago, uh, about 10, 15 years ago, hired a CEO and the CEO got to keep his side gig as a consultant to Pepsi. And he got to keep working from Connecticut when the company was based in uh, Des Moines, Iowa. When he was replaced, the next CEO, and some people know who we're talking about, the next CEO demanded that headquarters be shifted to Chicago. And they agreed to that. Like um, that's a weak culture. Not surprising when activists decided to surface value, they were able to take three board seats really, really quickly. If you want culture change, that is kind of what you're looking for. You don't want the opposite. What else are you, what else are you looking for? I want, I want high turnover of employees, which again is counterintuitive to like good business and all that. What we're trying to say is we want, if we're changing culture, there's an assumption that something needs to change because something's not working in the results in one shape or form. We actually want high turnover industries. So an industry um, like fast food, where the turnover is very, very quick. Or if you want to change a movie theater that, you know, where employees turn over a lot because culture change is about having the humans change. 
Mm -hmm. uh, we, Ron Johnson, who went from Apple, helped create the Apple stores, and he took over JCPenney, he was trying to put a, a change in very, very rapidly, but he couldn't change out the people who were JCPenney lifers. Mm -hmm. Like he couldn't just say, hey, we need all new people in here. We're going to let go of the staff. That wasn't one of his options. So he was, he would have been better off if the turnover could be rapid. And you see that in some organizations where a new CEO comes in and what do they, what do they do immediately? Or you see this in professional sports, new head coach comes in or new CEO, they change out the whole management team, not because they're jerks or anything, but because they want to have the people that can affect the strategy, the culture that they're looking to create in that environment. They don't want to be straddled or whatever the right word would be with, with the old. And it's, it's so important to say these are all within, in context because <laughs> in, at one company, it would be great to change out the whole management team. At another company, maybe with a weaker culture, but still some strong performers, you don't need to change out the whole management team. So there aren't shortcuts in assessing culture on what the steps the right steps are to do. Let's um, talk about time in this cluster of preconditions. Um, a lot of management teams, especially when it's a new management team, will go out on the road and say, "Hey, we're doing this in three years," you know, or, or you know, in the next eighteen months, <laughs> we'll hit X, Y, Z targets. What do you think about that? Uh, a couple things. Any management that goes on the road and is giving themselves three years is basically trying to create some time and space away from the demands of investors. And sometimes that's a chicken story where they're going to be able to keep their jobs on something that's not going to work. And sometimes it's truly, you know, mimics taking a company private. So you have the latitude to make deep changes. Um, I remember if you have more time, you have a better chance of making cultural shifts or cultural enhancements. If you think this is a rapid thing that can be put on a PowerPoint and then executed because management can sell a new culture, you really have no idea what culture is. No idea. Um, one that I saw, this is about what, eight years ago or so, one of the higher ups at BP was doing an interview. And in the interview said, you know, we're going to develop a culture of safety. This was after the massive, um, disaster in the Gulf of Mexico. And we're going to develop a culture of safety. And I'm over, I don't know where I was, but I overheard this and my eyes were ready to roll because, you know, culture of safety meets BP. It just seemed so wrong. And the interviewer said, how long do you think that'll take? And the senior executive said, probably about 10 years. <laughs> and I stopped my eye rolling and I thought, at least they have the time scales right. Like that's a huge change, which is going to need repetition. You and I, Bryn, talk about when you're trying to do something countercultural, you need lots of repetition, lots of reinforcement, lots of like, like every day, because um, the force of entropy is going to take you back to the cultural norm. And if so, if you're trying to break or alter a culture, the more time, the more reinforcement, ongoing, ongoing, you have a better chance of doing that. But I'd also say, Brandon, sometimes can you avoid an actual culture change, culture shift? Yeah, that seems like the best option, frankly. <laughs> yes. How do you do that? Well, if you can come in and have a strategy that doesn't affect the remaining humans and their roles in the firm, that's really good. So let's say you restructure, you get rid of a division or you lay off a bunch of people. Those people you lay off or get rid of or structure, et cetera, they, they don't have to be reculturized because culture is largely about the people, not about the objects. Mm -hmm. So 
maybe sometimes we can just get rid of a division and kind of seal off some of or cut off some of the disease or the root of the disease and separate and keep like what's more workable so that you, you aren't hoping and praying. Uh, another thing you can do is mimic the culture you'd like to see or mimic the output as if your culture had changed. And the example that I like here is Whole Foods. Whole Foods brought a lot of innovation into the world of selling groceries or whatever you'd like to call it, let's say selling groceries. Now you could say, oh my God, we got to create the culture of Whole Foods to then recreate the outcome. And at a certain extent, you probably do down to the final details. But in the meantime, can you just have more really awesome prepared foods in a different section? Can you add in a sushi bar? You know, can you mimic, like if we had made this change, then it would kind of look like Whole Foods. Well, what things can we just mimic? And I think the grocery stores in responding to Whole Foods did a really, really good job over the last 10 to 15 years of responding by mimicking the result hmm. as opposed to digging at, and I don't think key foods or shop, stop and shopper have any of the mentality that Whole Foods does but they've been able to cut the pain of market share loss by mimicking some of the great things that Whole Food did at the output. Uh, the other thing that I think you and I try and work with people and can we get some small wins and we, can we do some under the radar kind of pilot work that mimics a culture change more thoroughly and then slowly across time spread the impact of those changes in pilot groups or skunk works or uh, under the radar working groups, can we first embed with the early adopters of a cultural enhancement? And then can we spread that culture, in quotes, can we spread that culture out slowly and steadily from a very strong base? Maria likes to talk about this in terms of internal feedback loop systems. And can she find a group of people who in some terminology they call zeros can those zeros, and zeros is not derogatory, it's actually a, a profound compliment. Those are people that don't need the approval of someone else to think for themselves to create the future. Can you find those people and let them start on a change? And then slowly the ones and the twos kind of come along. Uh, one of our rules of thumb is never try and convert the curmudgeons quickly. Let them come at their own pace. Mm -hmm. Start with your your core team or your core group of supporters, whether they're on your team or not. I like those, the um, get some initial wins and the skunk works or the pilots, because those are both preconditions you're looking for whether or not that's possible. And we've worked with plenty of organizations where it's just not, even that is just not possible. That's too confronting somehow. Um, and others where it's very, um, oriented toward trying something new and yeah, let's go for it. Um, but those are also methods. So let's change over to methods. And there's one in particular that I want to make sure we hit, which is anomaly hunting. Mm. What is anomaly hunting? So this is uh, about what, seven years ago, I heard about Wall Street was going to quantify data. And I remember really getting nauseous and maybe a little angry at that moment that they were going to quantify culture. And first it's like, well, how are we even going to define the output of that? And, you know, good and bad in culture is, are not words we use. We try and get more specific. When we're going to assess a business culture, which is like the first step that a new CEO might want to do, they 
How do they understand what they're working with? In an assessment, we look for anomalies. And anomalies could be in quotes good, they could be bad, whatever, but they're things that are distinctively different and atypical from most organizations. We will look through a bunch of lenses to find these anomalies. It could be through their financials. It could be the interaction of employees to employees. It could be YouTube videos on HR ramp up of training for new hires. It could be the relationship with the suppliers, the customer feedback, the product. We have probably about 20 of these different lenses and we're looking for anomalies. Why we look for anomalies is our belief is that things out of bounds beyond the borders of normalcy, so atypical outcomes, don't happen by accident. Mm. There's some reason why that anomaly is, exists and continues to exist inside of a company setting. And we want to have this as a pathway. Now, ultimately we have to interpret these anomalies. And that's why we want a lot of anomalies, not a few anomalies, because the interpretation of interpretive power of any of the anomalies is, you know, ranges from 60% to 85%, maybe, how we interpret what does this actually mean? Let's say 60 to 85%. So we could be wrong on one, but if we pull up, you know, 20 anomalies about how a company is working from different angles, then we put together a mosaic, which is pretty convincing of what is the way things get done? What is the way of being? What are the guardrails in an organization? When we ultimately want to interact with management, which is not a high priority initially at all. We never want to say to a management, you know, describe your culture. Um, even if they wanted to, they have probably a really bad read on it because they're the management. They get treated differently. They see different things. People hide stuff from them. But when we finally get in touch with management, we want to go through some of these anomalies and just say, what's your explanation about how this exists? Can you tell us how this came to be? Can you tell us why this is? Can you... Um, give us your thinking about this and how it exists. And then that can further support the interpretations that we've been making by giving them very specific things to comment on. This is all part of a piece that we did, oh, probably five years ago called Culture Core Basics, which is about 12 pages long or such, and happy to forward that. I think this type of assessment is helpful if I'm looking at a company whose strategy requires change. If I want that change, I probably want to determine how weak the culture is. A strong culture kicks out foreign antibodies. A strong culture and way of being decreases the likelihood of change. So if the strategy requires change, my view on its ability to do that will in some way be making assumptions on the strength or weakness of its culture. So along with the core basics piece that Pitt mentioned, you can dive into this topic much further on podcast 22 and 23 from a different angle with biologist Maria Sousa, in which we discuss complex systems and resiliency. I think it's a great way to round out the thinking on strong and weak cultures. Thanks for listening.